Good morning. Time to begin our services this morning. <laughs> I want to welcome everyone here this morning. Good to see everybody out. And if you're visiting with us, I just want to welcome you to Rome and invite you back to, to be with us again. And also, there are visitor cards in the uh, pew in front of you. If you wouldn't care to just take a minute to fill one of those out, and you can just drop it in the uh, collection plate as they come around a little bit later. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you haven't had a chance to, uh, to pick up a uh, bulletin, a Rome journal, please do that. It has all of our upcoming activities as well as all of those that are on our prayer list. Uh, Dave will have all of the uh, announcements uh, here at the end of services. Uh, but just a reminder that we will have our uh, potluck meal this morning after morning services. And then uh, we'll have our 1 p.m. services today, so no 6 p.m. services this evening. And then after that, we will be going over to Wingate to sing to the residents there at 2 p.m. So hopefully uh, you can join us for that. Also, just a reminder, if you need uh, a nursery, there's one available on the uh, other side of this wall through that window. And also, we have a children's Bible hour, and, and John will dismiss the, uh, the children at the appropriate time for that. Uh, but just a reminder, that is for two- to four-year-olds as well as kindergarten through third grade. So I just want to remind you of that. That is all the, uh, the updates and announcements that I have. So as we prepare for our worship this morning, I'd like to read a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time thanking you, Father, for the many blessings of this life. We thank you for blessing us with another day of life, for the sun shining today. We thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship you and sing praises to you. And our prayer, Lord, is that we will do everything uh, as we read through your word, that it'll be in accordance to your will, that you'll be pleased with our worship time together. And Father, I pray your blessings upon the, uh, the church here at Rome for each of the families, for each uh, individual. Pray that each of us will be strengthened by our time here this morning as we worship you, as we hear a lesson from your word later on from, from Chris. And Father, we're mindful of so many that are struggling with various health issues, be it mental or health or uh, physical or spiritual. We just pray for each of them, pray that they will be restored and that they'll feel your comfort today, Father. Father, we uh, again just thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus and his death on the cross, and we look forward to memorializing him here in a little bit. And as always, Father, we just ask that you forgive us when we do fall short of your glory. It's through Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. Please stand for the first song. First hymn this morning, number 238, Holy, 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 238. 
Next hymn this morning, number 761, Where He Leads, I'll Follow, 761. <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Alan Payne will have our scripture reading and prayer. <clears throat> Sweet are the promises, thine is the word, hear
scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts chapter 8 verses 39 and 40. Acts chapter 8 verses 39 and 40. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our divine Father in heaven, we come before you in humble prayer. Father, thanking you for the opportunity we have to be together this morning to sing songs of praises into your name, to, to worship you, and to study from your word. We pray, Father, that all that is said here this day will be pleasing in your sight. May we all strive to do your will. May the love be shown in all that we say and do. Father, we ask that you'd please watch over those of our number. There are many who are, who are ill and, and needing help. Pray, Father, we would take care of them and comfort them as only you can. Be with the doctors and the medicines. Father, we pray that you'd be over all the works that we do here at this church this day, Father. We pray that you'd watch over our upcoming mission, mission trip to Peru. Pray, Father, that you'd be with us in this endeavor to bless all who are on this trip. Help us to be successful in spreading the word in Latin America. Father, again, we thank you for all you've blessed us with. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus who died for us. Pray, Father, that you'd help us always to remember the sacrifice he made and always be willing to share the word with all that we come in contact with. Again, Father, thank you for your blessings. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Next time this morning, number 752, When My Love to Christ Grows Weak, 752. <clears throat> we'll sing the first, third, and fourth verse, and after that hymn, Brother Nathan, we'll have our, our Lord's Supper. <clears throat> When my love to Christ grows weak, when for
You may not have known it, but yesterday was a holiday. Yesterday, March 25th, is recognized as National Medal of Honor Day. And I took some time and I was looking around um, at some statistics and some information on the Medal of Honor. For those of you who don't know, the Medal of Honor is an award, a military award. Granted, it's the highest uh, award granted to those in cases of extreme bravery and self-sacrifice. And that got my mind thinking about what, um, what that award meant and, and how I could tie it into what we're doing here today. You may not know, but there has been a total of 3,516 recipients of the Medal of Honor. 19 of those people have actually won it twice. Currently today, there's only 65 living members, recipients of the Medal of Honor. Out of all the conflicts that the Medal of Honor has been awarded, by far the most have been the United States Civil War, where 1,523 awards were given out. The first ever Medal of Honor recipient was Jacob Parrott in the Civil War. The first and only female recipient Mary E. Walker was also from the Civil War. And another interesting fact, the, the youngest ever recipient, you can think about this, William Willie Johnston was only 13 years old when he earned the Medal of Honor in the Civil War. And of all the things I looked at, and there's, I, I could go on for, for an hour talking about the interesting facts of this this award, and it's truly called an award, but the one thing that they stress to is that the people who receive the Medal of Honor are not called winners of the Medal of Honor. They refer to as recipients of the Medal of Honor. And I struck, that struck me as odd, why would you call yourself a recipient instead of a winner of the nation's highest military honor? And looking at the Medal of Honor's website, that very question is asked. And I want to read to you what they have to say. The living recipients do not view the Medal of Honor as something that is won, like one might win a race. They view this medal as something that was bestowed upon them to carry as a symbol of the sacrifices of all who have served. You don't, go out to, you don't set out to win a Medal of Honor. But in the course of duty... One might do something above and beyond their duty, sacrificing their own safety to help their fellow service members, to help others, and they're, they're awarded that great honor. But those who have that great honor don't necessarily like to fawn it around. In fact, they oftentimes begrudgingly show up with a reward to events. But they do that, they're asked, you know, specifically because they use it as an opportunity to remember those who they served with who didn't make it, those who sacrificed their lives for freedom. They use that as a badge of honor not for themselves but for those who didn't make it back to honor their sacrifice, nothing, not to honor their own sacrifice that they did to win that award. So as we gather around this table, we're, we're using this, this Lord's Supper as a, symbolic, um, as a symbolic emblem 
to remember another great sacrifice. That's the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make for each and every one of us. He tells his disciples before he's you know, betrayed that he wants to establish this taking of the bread and the fruit of the vine and what these emblems mean. But he wanted us to use this when we gathered together to remember him. It was a simple thing. He wanted you to take this bread, take this fruit of the vine, but he wanted you to do this in remembrance of him and his great sacrifice. So as we begin the Lord's Supper, that's what I want us to do. I want us to focus on the sacrifice that one made for us on our behalf, that he was willing to, to leave heaven. He was willing to come to this earth and live as a man, to suffer the agony of a crucifixion, to, to suffer you know, betrayal, to suffer um, being alienated. His, his, his friends all but abandoned him. And he died alone hanging on a tree because he loved you and I so much that he thought, he thought that that sacrifice was worthwhile. Will you bow with me, please, as we give thanks for the bread? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this gift of life. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather around with fellow Christians. And we take this time to, to remember your great sacrifice that you, that you gave for each and every one of us. By, by offering up your life, offering up your body, that, that through your sacrifice we might have that hope of heaven someday. We're so grateful for that opportunity because you loved us so much. Please bless this bread, which represents your body. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son who was willing to come to this earth and shed his pure and sinless blood as a, as a sacrificial offering so that through, our, through his death that we might have life eternal with you, to be reconciled once again back to you. We're so thankful for this gift and this sacrifice because he loved us so much. I ask that you be with us as we bless this fruit of the vine and bless those who partake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper, but as an opportune time, uh, the men will be gathered now to take up a collection. This financial uh, contribution, uh, symbolic of uh, giving back a portion of the blessings that God has given us so that the work 
here in Rome may continue on. Let's give thanks for the blessing. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all the many blessings you've given us. Lord, we are mindful that all good things come from you. And we're so grateful to be blessed in this nation and in this community. We ask that you be with this collection that is taken up. May the funds that are gathered be used to help further your kingdom here in this community and throughout the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 222. He will pilot me. 222. At this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour.
Invitation hymn for this morning, number 587, Soul of Savior, Thou Art Needing, 587, Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Today is our fellowship meal, as was announced earlier, so if, uh, if you're hungry after services, we have the perfect spot for you. Uh, swing on down to our fellowship hall, and we will get to know you a little bit better and uh, enjoy some, uh, some food and some time together. We're in uh, Acts chapter 8 today. Acts chapter 8. Uh, we have been walking through Acts this year. Um, and now we are getting to meet uh, three guys. Last week we met Stephen. He is one of the seven deacons that are appointed to the Jerusalem congregation. Uh, and he dies for his faith ultimately. Uh, he's martyred. Uh, today we're getting to meet a guy named Philip. He too is one of these seven deacons of the Jerusalem congregation. When Stephen was martyred, the church goes everywhere. Uh, they, don't, um, they don't stay in Jerusalem, they, they scatter, uh, which seems, on, on the offset, seems bad, right? But you're going to see today that it's, it's really incredible. Uh, it, it's a good thing, it's a beautiful thing. And so they're, they're going to go to all corners of the world. They had been centralized in Jerusalem, but now you can't, you can't centralize God. He's, he scatters um, this early church, and, and they go everywhere. Next week we get to meet Saul. He's going to turn into uh, the, the apostle Paul, but that's next week. Acts chapter 8, we're going to get to meet a guy named Philip. So... Uh, if you've got your Bibles, be flipping over to, to Acts chapter 8. We're looking at this through the lens of uh, how these guys are recruited and so that we want to ask them a question. Uh, from what we know of them in Scripture, what did they understand when, that they needed to do when they were recruited to follow Jesus? So that, that's what we're trying to ask Philip today. So we kind of need to look at his, his story first. Let's, let's start at Acts 8. Chapter 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, let's just stop right there. He's, he's going to go from Jerusalem. You see it there next to the Dead Sea on the map behind me. He goes all the way up to Samaria. It says he goes to a city in Samaria. We don't know which city. Uh, Luke doesn't provide a city for us. Maybe he went to multiple cities. Although there is a city uh, that Jesus had quite a bit of success in. You remember he met the woman at the well in John chapter 4. 
She is a Samaritan woman. He meets her in the city of Sychar. That's where Jacob's well was. It's still there today. You can go see it today. It's still um, very deep. It's like 100 feet down. Um, but you can visit that today if you were to go to that area. So maybe, maybe Philip went to Sychar. We're, we're not told. But wherever he went in Samaria, he had kind of incredible success. Uh, keep, keep looking in Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 6. And the crowds, so, so his teaching has already drawn crowds. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Now, you remember last week, Stephen was gifted miraculous gifts. Uh, the apostles could impart this ability to people by laying on of their hands. The apostles were the only ones who could do that. We, we, we can't do miracles today. And in fact, you're going to see that uh, come across in our, in our text this morning. But uh, Stephen was given that ability to be able to do miraculous gifts. He could not pass them on. You'll see that in just a second too. But... Uh, Philip was also given this, this miraculous ability, though he couldn't pass it on. Only the apostles had that ability. But when they see the things that he can do, it makes them stop and look. That's the purpose of miracles. That's, that's how Jesus used miracles. That's how all the apostles are going to use miracles. And that's how Philip is going to use miracles today. He will heal someone or, or do something that is miraculous. It, it's where a miracle is really where God steps into the middle of creation and he reorders it. He, he makes it function the way he wants it to function. That is not normal. It's an abnormal. It's a outside the realm of possibility. He has, he's twisted it so that it functions in the way that he wants it to function in this isolated incident. So Philip has done some sort of miraculous ability or has some sort of miraculous ability and has done something that has caught the attention of a crowd of people. At that point, he uses this crowd to teach them. This is what, this is what we, we've, we've learned to um, see in the book of Acts. They, they will draw a crowd somehow. Before now, it's been by miracles too. But they'll draw a crowd, and then they use that crowd to, as an opportunity to teach. So that's what Philip's doing. Verse 7 gives us uh, an indication of at least one of these miraculous abilities that Philip has. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many of uh, many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. Now, he comes in contact with a guy named Simon. Simon's been the big guy in this city. Wherever, again, we're, we're not told what city um, Philip's in, but whatever the city this in is, and maybe it's, maybe it's multiple cities, maybe it's this region, but Simon the magician has been the big name on campus, so to speak. Everybody's respected him. Um, everybody maybe even fears him. He is a magician is what the Bible calls him. Um, so he has tricks, um, sleight of hand, those kinds of things that he is used to, to trick people, so to speak. Um, but he has garnered some, some small following, right? Um, he comes to faith when he sees what uh, Philip can do when he listens to the teaching, Simon comes to faith. Now, here's, here's what's so interesting. Uh, check out what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Well, back up to verse 13, because then you get Simon. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, 
They sent to them Peter and John. Well, why do they do that? What, why do they need Peter and John to come down? They've got Philip. Philip's already baptized them. They, they are members of the church now. So what's the purpose of Peter and John coming, coming to Samaria? Well, keep reading verse 15. Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they have the Holy Spirit just like you and I have it um, in, at our baptism. And verse 17 says, Then they laid their hands, Peter and John, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Philip couldn't do that. None of the, none of the new believers could do that. They didn't have the power to be able to impart miraculous gifts. This was, this was something that only the apostles could do. And so since there are no longer any apostles, these, these 12, 13 guys uh, have all died now, obviously. And so we don't have miraculous ability any longer. At any rate, Philip goes to Samaria and he starts teaching. And revolution, as you see it in the book of Acts, sweeps through whatever area the gospel reaches. And it happens in Samaria too. So after he leaves Samaria, we're not even told when he leaves. Maybe he leaves before Peter and John come down. Certainly that would be a good time to hand it off, you know. Um, maybe he's there with Peter and John. But the Bible just kind of indicates that Philip wanders off, for lack of a better term. But it's not really wandering. The Spirit's leading him to places. Uh, throughout this whole chapter, the Spirit's pushing him, leading him into different spots. Uh, so, so look at what happens uh, in uh, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. There was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. This guy's most likely not a Jew. He is a proselyte. He's coming. He's an Ethiopian, right? And so he's come from Africa. Uh, to Jerusalem to worship. He's converted to Judaism. And so he's got to come three times a year as every um, person who has um, converted to Judaism does. He has to come three times a year to the temple to worship. And he can come other times throughout the year, and that's fine. Um, widely allowed, he can be in the temple. And so um, that, that, is, that has happened at this point. He's on his way back home from Jerusalem when... Uh, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, leads Philip to go have a conversation with this guy. Now, he's, this guy's wealthy. Um, you're going to want to, let's see, yeah. You're going to want to see uh, as he uh, jumps in this chariot, this guy, is, he's got rings on. Uh, he's well-dressed. This guy is, he's wealthy. Um, and so Philip starts talking to him. But as, as he starts talking to him, one of the very first things uh, the, the eunuch, or Philip recognizes about the eunuch is he's reading from the Bible. He's reading from the Torah. In fact, he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. Now, I don't, I don't know how much you know about Judaism, but if you were a Jew and you wanted to convert to Christ, Isaiah 53 is the perfect spot for you to be. Uh, in fact, um, I, I've heard... Uh, that the Jewish people today, they don't read Isaiah 53 as they go through synagogue. and they don't, they, don't, they don't read that passage. You know why? It's obviously talking about Jesus. Obviously talking about Jesus, right? It's so clear. Uh, and so they, they've kind of excised that section 
uh, of their Bibles. Uh, they've, they've cut it out. But this guy's reading Isaiah 53. And so as an evangelist, Philip has got to um, be picking his jaw up off the floor here. Uh, the spirits told him to go uh, talk to this guy. I don't know what he thinks when that happens. He may have already come to the realization that something phenomenal is going to happen, like doors are just going to be open and this guy's going to be ready uh, to listen to what he has to say. Maybe he's already come to that. Maybe, maybe that's, that's the M.O. For, for Philip these days. But it, it could also be nine times out of ten, the people don't want to listen and, and they just throw rocks at him and they cast him out. So I, I don't really know what Philip's expecting here when the, when the Spirit tells him to go join himself to this chariot, but I, I kind of tend to believe he's, he's hopeful, at least, right? And so he gets there, and the guy's reading from the perfect passage in the Old Testament. Okay, you know, Philip's going to jump on this opportunity. And so then the guy, we're not even told Philip has any other further conversation with him before this next uh, series of questions that the guy's going to ask. And so the, the eunuch has questions. Awesome. In a Bible study, this is phenomenal. We love questions, right? And so Philip again has got to be like, this is amazing. And not only does the guy have questions, he has the right questions. He's been reading this and thinking it through, and he's got the right question. Who's, who's Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself that's going to, going to undergo this kind of treatment? If you haven't read Isaiah 53, go read Isaiah 53 today. Um, you don't have to read through it very far before you start thinking, who would be treated like this? Um, he, he was despised and rejected and we esteemed him not. He, he bears our reproaches. He was stricken for us. His, his wounds heal us. And so you've got you to be thinking like, like the eunuch, is Isaiah talking about himself? Like, did this, has, this, has this already happened? Isaiah lives about 800 years before Jesus was born. So has this already happened? Is it in the past? And, and how do I access this? He, he says his wounds heal me. And so like, is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about somebody that somebody else? And Philip's got to be rubbing his hands at this point. And, you know, he's like, yes, this, this is what evangelists live for. This, this is amazing. You're asking questions. You're asking the right questions. This is phenomenal, right? So amazing things that happen. God has readied this guy's heart, this eunuch's heart, so Philip could lead him to truth. And some, somewhere along the line, they must start talking about baptism. Uh, Peter would say in 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism, which now saves you, right? And so at some point, <coughs> Philip must have brought up baptism to the eunuch and its connection with salvation, that it's necessary, that's essential for salvation. And so uh, when the eunuch sees water, he says, well, there's water right here. Why, why can't I be baptized? And you go back through and you read what Philip says. He's reading between the lines and reading what he actually says. It, it kind of comes off as, as him saying, well, if you believe everything we've talked about, then there's nothing stopping you. Let's, let's go. And, and so they go down in the water and, and Philip baptizes the eunuch. And the eunuch is so excited. He's, he's elated because his sins have, have been washed away. Jesus' wounds healed the eunuch and, and our our sins. And so at that point, where does Philip go? Well, check it out. 
Look what he says uh, in verse uh, 39. <clears throat> this is the verse uh, Alan read for you this morning. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So do you see what's happening? When I was reading through this passage in preparation for this sermon, uh, I've read through this passage many times like, like most of you have. And so I was like, oh, he went up into Samaria, got it. And then he went down uh, to, to down this road. I've outlined it for you with these, with these arrows. The, the path that I think he probably took. We know that he's going down uh, toward the sea, uh, going down uh, the road that leads from Jerusalem uh, to, to, to the ocean. Uh, to the Mediterranean Sea. So this is a likely route that he probably took, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch somewhere, maybe before he gets to, to Ashdod, Ascalon, Gaza, all those things. Maybe he meets the Ethiopian eunuch somewhere around in there. So our familiarity with this passage kind of messes it up a little bit here, because I was like you, I was like, oh yeah, he went up to Samaria, then he met the Ethiopian eunuch, and then he went to this place called Azotos. And I stopped and I thought, you should stop and think when you do this too. Where is Azotos? Because I don't know where that place is. That's not, that's not like Jerusalem or Caesarea to me. I, don't, I, I can't pinpoint it on a map. And so you know what I did? I got my Bible dictionary out and I started looking for, and I Googled, you can do that too. And I Googled, where is Azotos? Because I want to know now. Because I think the Spirit's trying to do something in this passage. He's trying to show us something in this passage. And I think Azotos is the key to it. And so I was like, where is Azotos? Do you know where Azotos is? Probably not, right? It's a New Testament term for an Old Testament city, Ashdod. Azotos is Ashdod. They changed the, they changed the name during the intertestamental period. But Azotos is Ashdod. Now, that may not impress you very much because maybe you don't know what Ashdod is. But Ashdod is a Philistine city. You remember the Philistines, right? Okay. Let's walk through the Philistines for just a second. So this is not Yahweh's first encounter with the Philistines, right? This, they're nomadic, uh, at least early on in their existence. Um, they are uh, voyagers, and so they, they plop themselves, they plop themselves right, right down there in Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza. This, this whole area is, the, the green area is their area, and that's where they settle. And they come in contact with Israel during the time of the judges, Samson is one of the big guys that comes in contact, one of the first guys that comes in contact with the Philistines and he fights against them, all that kind of stuff. He fasts forward um, maybe 20, 30 years or so. Um, and Samuel uh, will, maybe 200 years. He fast forward, I don't know, about 200 years. And Samuel, the last judge, uh, will come in contact with, with the Philistines again. They're, and they're just kind of Israel's perennial enemies during this time period. And so Samuel, uh, when he's a young boy, remember uh, Eli is the high priest at that point. He takes uh, Samuel under his wing and he kind of guides him better than he guided his own sons. Uh, and so Samuel grows up and he becomes judge. But when he's a little boy, um, the Israelites lose the Ark of the Covenant in battle to the Philistines. Uh, and the Philistines take it back to their, to their cities. It, it in fact, uh, goes on a tour, a victory tour. They take the, the Ark of the Covenant all, around all their major cities, all six or seven of them, including Ashdod, including Ascalon, including Gaza. 
Um, and so it, it goes on this victory tour. But the problem is, every time the, the Ark of the Covenant sets foot in one of the Philistine cities, God causes havoc in the Philistine cities, and they're forced to push it on to the next city. Like, he makes the people break, break out in plagues and boils, and terrible things happen as soon as the Ark of the Covenant sets foot in the new Philistine city. Until they leave, until it leaves, awful things happen there. And the very first Philistine city that it sets foot in, they set it in Dagon's temple. Dagon is the fish god of the Philistines. You see his picture uh, there uh, on the screen behind me. And so they set it in his temple. And overnight, God knocks off his head and cuts off his hands and tips over his, his, uh, his idol there. They walk in and they think, oh, this is bad. <laughs> Something terrible has happened. It's not the Israelites that are powerful. It's the God that they serve. He's the powerful one. We got to get this Ark of the Covenant out of here. This is, this is where he resides. It's got to leave um, because he's going to destroy Dagon. Of course, Dagon's nothing. It's just um, metal and uh, wood. At any rate, they take it as bad omen, and it goes on this victory tour uh, throughout all of Philista. Uh, but uh, the victory tour turns sour very, very quickly. And they end up setting the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel and they, they leave it in a storehouse for 20 or 40 years or so until David comes along. Um, fast forward even farther uh, into the period of, um, uh, of David. He runs into the Philistines uh, quite a few times and they're big enemies uh, with him. Um, of course, Goliath is from, uh, uh, he's a Philistine. Um, you fast forward into the intertestamental period and uh, the Maccabees, who were governing Israel during that point, point in history, um, go down to Ashdod, now named Azotos, and they destroy it um, because of its idolatry. And so this is not Yahweh's first run-in with the Philistines. What is so interesting here is Samaria, Africa, Egypt, and Philistines. Philistia are all enemies of Israel. But if they're willing to repent and confess Jesus as Lord, if they were, will be immersed and have to have their sins removed, they can be added to the kingdom just the same as Philip was. Isn't that awesome? Like, stop and think about it for just a second. The Holy Spirit's trying to teach us here, I think, through these, through these uh, incidents. Samaria are the most hated enemies of Israel. The Israelites would have, like, to get from Israelite territory here to Israelite territory here, they would normally have to go through Samaria. It's, it's, it's the logical way to go, you know. But instead of doing that, they cross a river over here and go all the way around, 20 or 30, 40 miles out of their way, so they don't have to go through Samaritan territory. If you drank out of, a, out of a cup that a Samaritan drank out of or ate off a dish that a Samaritan had eaten off of, you are unclean until you're ritually cleaned by a priest. <clears throat> they hated the Samaritans. They're, they're half-breeds. They're betrayers. They're, they're sellouts. Um, but if they're willing to confess Jesus as Lord, if they're willing to be immersed for the purpose of forgiveness of their sins... They're welcome in the kingdom, just like everybody else is. In fact, God went after them when he sent Philip to Samaria. When he sent Peter and John to Samaria, he goes after the Samaritans. Same thing's true of the Egyptians. 
they are, of course, you know, you know this, they are the ones who um, enslaved Israel early on in, as they were uh, a burgeoning nation. Uh, Israel is in Egyptian captivity for years, right? Uh, known as hard taskmasters, and God himself has to bring them out of Egypt. But if the Egyptians today are willing to confess Jesus as Lord and be immersed for the purpose of the forgiveness of their sins, they're welcome in the kingdom, just like everyone else. And in fact, God's going after them when he sends Philip to teach the Ethiopian eunuch who Isaiah was really talking about. And then in Azotos, Ashdod, he's leaving us this, this Easter egg here with the Philistines. He says, this perennial enemy, the one that is very easily, possibly the most hated enemy Israel has had over the years, if they're willing to confess him as Lord and be immersed for the purpose of forgiveness of their sins, they're welcome in the kingdom. And in fact, God goes after them just like he does everybody else. And so I think one of the things that we can learn from, from Philip is, well, let me tell you a story first. This year, or last year, Kelly and I heard about um, some marbles that are washing up on the shore in the Great Lakes, right? Have you guys heard about this? And there's marbles washing up on the shore in the Great Lakes. And nobody knows really where they're coming from. A lot of people think, oh, maybe they're coming from um, boats where they used to put marbles back in the day, like 17, 1800s, they would put marbles down. This is what the legend says. I don't know if it's true or not. But legend says that they used to put marbles down the hulls of ships to kind of keep them uh, upright as they were traveling. And they shipwrecked in the Great Lakes, and now they're washing up on shore. Maybe that's true. It's much more likely that the landfills that used to be in like the 40s, 50s, before the EPA started taking over this stuff, um, they would dump <laughs> landfills in the Great Lakes, and now they're washing up on shore. And so we thought, ah, we like treasure hunting as much as the next guy. And so we're going to go over to Cleveland, and we're going to hang out and look for, for marbles. And so we didn't find any marbles that day, but we found tons of beach glass. Uh, and it, I've been on lots of beaches in my lifetime, lots of beaches. Um, you know how much beach glass or marbles I've found? Not a single one. It's weird, right? You ever been on a beach and not found any beach glass? I've done it for my whole life until this trip. I've never once seen beach glass. Weird. You know why I found it this time? Because I was looking for it. I was looking for it, so I found it. We, we were... We got so good at this, like we had trained our eyes so well to find this, these things, uh, like just in a couple of hours, really, it's, it's really what you focus on, but just in a couple of hours, we could walk along the shore looking into the waves, and you would see something glinting in there that's something that didn't belong, and, and you would, your eyes would just fix on it, and it would be beach glass, um, all because we're looking for something shiny that's in a color that doesn't belong there. We, we found it, right? And you kind of got to be fast with this stuff because often these, these marbles or beach glass, they'll, they'll roll in with one wave. And as the wave goes back out, it'll take the marble or beach glass back. But, so you got to be fast. And so we, we're training our eyes to look at this stuff. And we're just walking down the beach and there's piles of pebbles and it's all gray and brown and green and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you'll just be walking along the beach and you'll see some beach glass there. And it'll be a pebble that's just so small that you can barely even pick it up, Right. Uh, I had problems picking it up. I didn't have problems seeing it. It's weird, right? 
And after all the, I'm 40, <laughs> after all these years of, of traveling to beaches and walking on beaches and stuff, all the beaches I've visited, I've never once seen beach glass full. This one, I, felt we, I mean, we filled several mason jars full of, of beach glass. And you know why? Because I was looking for it. It's all in what you look for. I think Philip was looking for opportunities to share the truth. And so when he was sent to Samaria, thanks to Saul ravaging the church, you know what he found? Opportunities to share the gospel. And so when he was sent by the, the Spirit to find a eunuch that's traveling in a chariot, you know what he found? Opportunities to share the gospel. Because that's what he's looking for. And when he goes to Azotus, we're not told this, but when he goes to Ashdod, you know what I bet he found? Opportunities to share the gospel. Because that's what he's looking for. We need to train our eyes not to find beach glass, but to have soul vision. To see people as lost hurting, to see Jesus as their answer. If we can train our eyes to see that, you know what we'll find? Opportunities to share the truth with people. It's all in what you look for. And if we lead our lives for ourselves or not looking for opportunities to share the truth with people, you know what we'll find? We won't find evangelistic opportunities. Not if we're not focused on them. This is things that you only find if you're looking for them. And so this week you look for them. You train your eyes. It won't take long. It's like this beach glass thing. It won't take long. The crazy thing is, once you train your eyes to see that kind of stuff, you won't be able to unsee it. Everybody around you is hurting. A vast majority of our world is lost. You have the answer. And we should be sharing it with them. We've just got to train our eyes so that we can see these opportunities. Because if we train our eyes to see the opportunities, we'll find them. So this morning, if you're struggling and you need Christ, we would love to sit down and study the Bible with you. That is what we live for. Uh, maybe you've already made the decision. Maybe you've already... You've already given your life over to Christ. You've already been baptized. You've, your sins have been washed away. And, and you're looking for an opportunity for revival in your own life to, to reignite your passion. We want to pray with you and for you that you're everything God would have you to be. If we can help you in any way this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Jerry Stevens, one of our shepherds here, if you don't mind, come up and lead the prayer in just a moment. Uh, Dean Covey comes forward this morning. Dean's one of our newer members. He's been visiting with us and, and placed membership here six months ago. It's been, it's been longer than I think it has, hasn't it? Um, Dean's an excellent man. You just you need to get to know him better. Um, he comes forward this morning saying that uh, his prayer life is struggling and he wants to, to be better at that. And I think that's something we can all say. And certainly we want to aid um, his request by, by praying for him, uh, that that can be better. It's such a pivotal thing in our lives um, to, to entreat God in this way. And so we certainly want to honor his request and are so proud of his faith and his determination to do what's right. Jerry. Would you bow with me at this time, please? Father, we're thankful that we're able to come to you in times like this. We ask, Father, that you hear our plea. As we go through this life, we struggle. We're not as strong as we'd like to be or as what you would have us to be. At this time, Father, we ask that you bless Dean in his efforts to make his prayer life stronger. Bless him, forgive him of his, sin, of his sins, forgive all of us of our sins, and bless each and every one that's here, especially Dean. We ask that you watch over him and give him strength and that he can look to you for guidance and help. Father, as a congregation, we pray that each one of us looks to you for guidance and help and that you will give us strength as we let our light shine in this community, that all of us ask for help in our prayer in our everyday walk of life. We're thankful for Dean that he came this morning. We ask you bless him, bless each of us, forgive us of our sins, in thy son's name we pray, and amen.
Good morning, church family. Hope everybody's doing all right this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can take out a moment to fill out one of the visitor cards in the pew in front of you, we'd love to have a record of your attendance and stick it in one of the boxes in the back or hand it to a member beside you. But we'd love uh, for you to stick around so we can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, today is potluck, church eat church. So it's also a great time to, to fellowship with one another. And you're visiting with us. Please stick around. There's always plenty of food. Desserts are always great. Um, a long time ago, Jerry Stevens told me the first place you should start is a dessert table. So, um, didn't you? <laughs> but, uh, so, but stick around. We'd love to have you uh, stick around and eat with us uh, this evening. Uh, and after that, we'll have 1 o'clock service. There will be no 6 o'clock service. And then at 2 o'clock, we are heading to Wingate to go sing um, at the nursing home. So please stick around to do that as well. It's always a great opportunity for us to uh, get out in the community and, and sing praises to God uh, with those people there who do not get an opportunity to get out. So um, what a great opportunity God's blessed us with to be able to, to serve him in that capacity. Um, also, uh, the last uh, day to bring uh, things for Daryl Hall's care basket is uh, today. Um, if you're wanting to bring something, Daryl Hall had surgery two weeks ago, and uh, he's recovering at home and just needs some encouragement. Uh, but he has a basket out in the foyer if you'd like to put something in there uh, to encourage him. Also, uh, the egg hunt is April 1st at 11 o'clock, uh, Saturday. Um, Wednesday will be the last day to bring eggs in for that. If you, there's a tote out there in the foyer uh, with bags, with eggs already in there. So all you have to do is just grab a bag and fill the, um, fill the eggs with candy and stick them in my office. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, Connie told, made specific instructions that they were not candy for me and Marvin to eat. I don't know why she said that. Do I look like the type of person that would eat candy from an egg before Easter? I see you, Pam, shaking your head. I see you. But, uh, but if you can uh, fill those, that would be great, greatly appreciated. Also, uh, Ladies' Day at Rio is this coming Saturday as well. Um, if you're wanting to take the bus, uh, the bus will be leaving at 8 o'clock in the morning uh, for Rio Grande Ladies' Day. Um, uh, if you have any other questions on that, please see Connie. Also, Stepping Stones is this coming Wednesday as well on April 5th. Um, Stepping Stone Supper is on uh, the breakfast is on the menu for that day and we encourage you to come to that it's at 530 come stick around and then we ha will have Bible study at 7 o'clock as you know word says you know iron sharp sharpens iron so what a great opportunity to dig into God's word we have classes for all ages and would love for you to stick around for our Bible study at Wednesday at 7 o'clock and also uh, the Flatwoods Gospel Meeting is April 24th through the 26th I remember continue to keep um, Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as he continues with his, uh, his chemo treatments um, at this time. And keep Jim Haney. Uh, he had some reports, and he's starting to go through his chemo treatments again. And uh, keep him in, him in your prayers. And also keep uh, Terry Leap, that's Gary's brother, in your prayers as well. He's not doing well. Um, so keep him in your prayers at this time as well. And also remember continue to keep Amber Spitzer in your prayers um, as she is uh, going through cancer as well. 
That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody sticking around for the potluck. Um, and seeing everybody again at 1 o'clock, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 510. <clears throat> sing the first two verses, 510. And after that, we'll be led in dismissal prayer. <clears throat> Oh, joy, the stormy banks last and has a wishful heart to your Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and everything you've given, us, given to us. Thank you for allowing us to come together and sing and worship you and also learn more about you. Dear Lord, please bless this food and help it nourish our bodies. And most importantly, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross so we can be free from the bondage of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>